1: All right, welcome to the Blue Note podcast, episode number two, one-stop shop for all things St. Louis Blues and the Believe Network, and uh, you can hit us up on all the podcast platforms as well. It's episode two, that means it's the Al McInnes episode, a legendary uh, defenseman, of course, spent a lot of great years in St. Louis playing alongside Chris Pronger, of course, and it's got to be dedicated to him because... As you wrote here, the defensive unit right now could use a guy like him because it's not good. And uh, by it's not good, I mean let's go into the the state of the series. I mean the Blues, they're up against the ropes. I think is a fair way to put it. They're down two to one in the series. They start off game one quite well, um, a four nothing shutout, and then after that, it's been disgusting. So I'm going to throw it over to my co-host Mike Meyer right now. What just overall thoughts in the series right now?
0: Well, you know, like you said, you know, they're up against the ropes here at this point. You know, it is only two to one. Um, you know, they went back to St. Louis, each taking a game here in Minnesota. Um, they look good. Game one, they look good. You know, able to capitalize here on a lot of chances. And, uh, you know, I think really frustrated the Wild. And then game two happened. And I think the Wild were able to uh, to answer and respond. And, uh, you know, really took their home ice advantage and shut it down the Blues' throats here. And then they came into St. Louis in a best of five series here now and uh, just continued to push the Blues. And so while it is only two games um, to one here at this point, the, the Blues are really, really struggling about to stay healthy, especially on that back end here at this point. So um, could do better, could do worse here at this point here too. So um, all in all, I give it a six out of
1: 10. I think that's generous because the last two games have been ugly. Like last, you know, you want to talk about game three. They had no chance in game three in the first two minutes. Like no chance when they give up those two goals. And I'm not going to blame Billy who, so we'll talk about what they should do in net later in the episode. But man, that's just ugly. Like the amount of odd man rushes they're allowing is disgusting. And, uh, you know, the wild woke up because the blues dominated game one. And you had to expect this to happen. We said this. Going into the series, this was going to be a close series, and I'm not so sure it's going to be close right now because I think if if the Blues aren't healthy defensively and Pareco and Falk are your top two guys, well, really, Falk is the top guy. Pareco, I mean, we'll talk about him in a minute, but geez. Um, if Falk's your top guy and he's by himself and he's playing with, you know, Mikula and Scandella and Pareko and uh, Callie Rosen, it's just, they're not winning with that group, I don't think, unless they just score a lot. And last night was a situation where they had, Last night, of course, being Game Three, they had a lot of good chances, and Flurry was really good. And one problem that I have with this series, and I've said it during my Twitter period recap videos, which you can see uh, on the Twitter, which is at t b n p o d t b n pod. Um, that's the Twitter account. I, I said, I mean, Flurry leaves rebounds out there ninety percent of the time. Like the rebounds are there, and the Blues are not capitalizing on it capitalizing on those. When they did so, Perron had two goals on a rebound in uh, in game one. So that's an issue. Uh, let's throw it over to the biggest surprises, you know, a, a stud muffin, so to speak, that you're happiest with in this series. Uh, let's throw it over to you, Mike, for this one. Your your uh, your biggest surprise. Who do you like?
0: I got to go with David Perron. You know, he's, uh, he's getting up there here in age, but he is making himself – quite a legacy here as a blue. And I am just, I'm so incredibly thrilled here for him. Um, it's its just wonderful to be able to see for him, his individual legacy at this point in time. You know, there's, it's been a lot of ugliness here, so to speak, going in and out here of this series. And so to see something like this happen, um, you know, it may not be something monumental for the series itself, other than for the three goals that he contributed here for game one, but just happy to to see, again, the legacy that he's leaving here as a blue.
1: I'm going to go with uh, both Perron and O'Reilly. I think they've both been good in the series. They've scored five of the blue seven goals. Uh, O'Reilly had the uh, only one last night. He's got two in the series, and Perron, of course, has three from game one. Um, I just think that them playing together kind of changes both of them, makes them both better. Like we saw in the playoffs last year when Perron couldn't play, which is what makes this year even better for him, that he couldn't play due to COVID last year against Colorado. O'Reilly struggled not having Peron there. And I think they make each other better. And I think that um, if they're going to get back into the series, I think it starts with their with their line, which I'm assuming they're going to be together no matter what. Now, who their third guy is, whether it's Buchnevich or uh, Saad, I think are the only two options at this point that I see. Um, you know, both of them have been really good, but it's been a lot of dark after that. And that's where we throw it over to the disappointments. Um, I mean, what do you what do you got on this?
0: I'm not even going to go with a single player here because the Blues forwards in general have been ugly. The lack of off- offensive output for such a balanced lineup. They they arguably have one of the deepest lineups in the Western Conference here right now and in my opinion, deeper than what the Wild here have. And it's just disgusting. They cannot score goals. To save their lives at this point. The lack, you 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 pointed to it earlier, the lack of rebound attempts. Flur's leaving them. He's leaving them wide open. Why can they not get to the net to crash him, get in their faces? I don't care if it's going to turn ugly or not. Now they have to, you know, keep everything here in check so that they don't take some stupid penalties here at this point. But they're they're there. Besides Perron's three goals in the opening game, the Blues have O'Reilly with two. Tarasenko, and Cairo with one goal. And that's it. Barbashev, Shen, Saad, Buchnevich, Thomas, the list goes on. These guys are all go- guys who scored 20 goals, and not a single one of them has put a puck in the back of the net. So my disappointment is just the Blues offense here in general.
1: I think you could make the argument that they they might have gotten too hot in April, and now they're coming back down to life. that's Something that I was afraid of was everybody was clicking at the right time, especially with Thomas and Tarasenko and Bucinavich on that line. And they've been somewhat of no-shows. Um, and here's something that you could notice. The one goal that they scored last night, O'Reilly scoring, there was a guy in front of Flurry, There was a guy in front of the net. And it turns out when you have a guy there, you probably have a better chance to score. And uh, that showed up there. But you just – I'm, I'm – I don't want to really point to a specific player either, but like at what point is Colton Pareko actually going to step up because he just hasn't, and he's been awful. And I just cannot believe because Pareko, I have a reverse retro Pareko jersey, So I've been a fan of Pareko and he has just fallen off of a cliff since I guess the bubble, I guess he was good before then. And then the bubble hit and he's just been horrible since then. I can't believe that Armstrong signed that extension. He's going to regret that extension, um, I'm not going to throw this back to losing Petrangelo and blame any of that here because that was a different situation, but uh, Pareco just has not shown up. He's been awful. I pointed him out before the series. He's done nothing. I think he has an assist. So congrats. I think he got one last night, uh, but pareco has been really disappointing. I shouldn't be surprised. He's been this disappointing, but it's just annoying to see how, what has happened to him because he was at one point, really the blue shutdown guy on the right side. Like, that's your guy. He's going to play against the best lines, and he's going to shut him down. And he's not that anymore. He's not even close to that. And one thing to also throw at, uh, like you did, the forward group, they haven't been good enough. They haven't been scoring enough. And you look at the other side, Kaprizov was a no-show in game one, but he's come back with, what, four goals in the last two games? So he's shown up. Zuccarello had one last night. So the wild, despite not having as much depth with as the Blues overall with their 12 forwards. Their big forwards have shown up in the last couple of games, and the Blues big forwards have not. And I think that the forward group struggling has been overshadowed by how bad the defense has been. And I saw a lot of tweets, some people in my mentioned, some people not, from last night's game, talking about how bad the defensive coverage and unit was. And I'm just sitting here thinking, we've known this. And they got better when Letty got traded here, which was surprising to me because I didn't think Letty would do that for this team. But we've known that they're bad. So it shouldn't be surprising. We should not have to tweet about it all the time, about how bad they are. We know they're bad.
0: You know, I'm going to throw this here, this question in for you. So you had brought up Petrangelo, you know, and we go back here to this 2019 Stanley Cup winning team, because, you know, that's just what we're going to do here at this point, because that was the team of success. That's the bar. Um, Petrangelo, Bo Meester, you know, these guys were all key components here of this blue line. But when you had Pareko, he was in a more limited role. He didn't have to overextend himself into all of these different positions. And so now he has become one of the guys that's being asked to play in all these situations and to maybe overextend himself. And with the addition here of Nick Letty, he didn't have to overextend himself as much. You know, Letty got thrown into some situations where he was able to relieve Pareko here a little bit. So do you think the addition and of Letty, one, helped but two do you think that the blues are just overextending him that they're trying to make him into a player that he just isn't
1: at this point so I think that he was well on track to becoming the number one guy the shutdown guy I think injuries affected him I think the back injuries really gotten him Uh, but I don't I don't see what the blue the way the blues are using him overall this season I don't see that as an issue because he's got Falk in front of him he's got Not Falk's not Petrangelo, but he was very, very good this year. Um, So he's got him in front of him. So Pareko is pretty much the number two uh, in the top four on the right side. So I don't really think that that's – I think what it comes down to more than anything is two things. Number one is the injuries that have gotten him. He's slower. His back has been messed up. We know that. Uh, he just hasn't looked the same. He hasn't been as aggressive with the puck. We've always known he's had a big shot, but he has a big shot that he can't control. And then number two, I think, is just the D partner. Like Scandella, when they're together, it's it's just not like the first goal last night was an example of that. Pareko pinches, Scandella comes back, and for some reason in a two-on-one Blues defensemen always just lay on the ground instead of using their their body or stick. So whatever that is, I guess maybe they teach that. I don't know. Uh, And I know Bruby said they got to be better with that. I mean, that's a no brainer, but um, with Letty there, I think they were, they were better, but I think that him not having a consistent defensive partner like Bo was a problem and Petrangelo had it during the run too. Gunnarsson was very good with Petrangelo and they've just lost all of that. The only pairing that you trust at any point really is um, Krug and Falk, and that's not going to be a thing moving forward. So I don't think it's really a usage problem from the blue standpoint. I just don't think Pareko is the same player and the injuries are a big part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Speaking of defensive issues, let's throw it over the defensive woes. And that is a, uh, that's a hot topic because like I, like I just said, we knew they're bad. So, I mean, we knew that they weren't going to give you much and they were going to you know, allow some really bad stuff to happen and it's happened. So uh, what do you, what do you think about the defensive unit? The unit that has really just been disgusting to watch the fact that their goals against was what 11th in the league is amazing to me.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and when the blues acquired Letty here at the trade deadline, you know, I wrote an article here, for the hockey writers. And again, it's good to mention that both you and I work here at the hockey writers. Um, and that's where you can be able to find a lot of our written work here at this point. Um, the acquisition of Letty is just a simple band aid to cover up a large gaping hole of talent. That is the blues defensive pairings. So scandal is back, but exactly how healthy is he, you know, is he just game ready and serviceable enough that he can get out there and potentially just play. Um, Krug exited here with an injury again during game three per per, per here this morning after the morning skate, he said that, you know, he's going to be out for a while. So I, I don't foresee him coming back. Even if the blues were able to make it on to, to round two, I don't see him coming back. Um, what's really interesting is that Perunovic could actually be a go here for tomorrow. So that'll be really interesting. Um, Perunovic, for some who may not know, he's actually been out with a wrist, um, Injury. He had to have surgery here since March 9th. And so um, this is a 23-year-old top prospect here for the Blues. He appeared in 19 games this season with six assists. Um, In the AHL here before this, he played in 17 games, three goals, 22 points. He at one point was leading the entire AHL in points. So it'll be good to get him back, but I'm not expecting a ton here from him. He's just going to be a big offensive guy, and maybe that's what the Blues can use. It's just another voice um, here on the power play to hopefully maybe quarterback something or just to be able to just cycle in something new. Um, Letty and Borduzzo here were skating. Maybe they'll both be ready here at this point. They're both day-to-day. I'm hoping that they're back because, man, if we have to be able to go back here together with Santini, Callie Rosen here, it's... I, I, I don't like it. You know, as we mentioned here in, in episode one, I like the Blues' offensive ability more from our defensive pairings. Defensively, I don't like them here as much.
1: Which doesn't work in the playoffs whenever you have a team like Minnesota playing you, like a team that's explosive offensively. Like if they're playing Nashville right now, I don't think we feel as bad about it because yeah. Nashville is a one line team with Forsberg and Duchesne, who are ridiculously good. But we saw what Colorado did to Nashville was like, That was an 11-to-1 game if Connor Ingram wasn't unbelievable for Nashville. But anyway, I mean, I agree 100% on Perunovic. I love him as a prospect, love him as a player. I don't think you're going to get that much out of him right now. Uh, But ideally, if you say that both Letty and Bortuzzo can play in game four, I think we probably see uh, Letty and Pareko together. I think that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I think, I I guess you go Scandella-Falk. (laughs) Ugh. <laughs> um, which I don't love, but no. the third pairing, then do you do you put Mikula back in there or do you give Prunovich a shot with assuming Bortuzzo's back with Bortuzzo? Because I think Prunovich bortuzzo wasn't that bad when they were together when Prunovich was playing. It wasn't no, that if bad. No,
0: Bortuzzo's, if Bortuzzo's ready to go, I I put him back out there because he was doing a lot of good, really doing a great job mixing it up, being physical here with these guys. And if somebody's going to hit him, And I know asking somebody like a Robert Bortuzzo to be a lone guy that says, Hey, just shut down. This guy is asking a lot,
1: but we, we got to do something physical. And that's what Bort- I think, I think Bortuzzo is a lot more important to this blue line than we, than we think. I think a lot of the issues there are penalties, but other than that, he's a good penalty killer. His stick broke on the first goal they scored in game two. Unlikely. Um, Yeah, and then obviously he gets hit in the face with a puck after that. So I don't know if he'll be back, yeah. but at least one of them being back would be good. I think I think you throw Perunovic in there if he can play because you give him a little bit of playoff experience going into next year because I, I think it's uh, locked and loaded that he will be uh, in the top six next year, no doubt about it, um, yeah. and playing. So that's going to be interesting to see. I'm really – what. And I know the season's not over and I don't want to get too far into the offseason yet, but I really wonder what Armstrong's going to try to do with this defensive core because I feel like you got it, you got to get rid of Scandela. That's number one. It just it doesn't work. You got to figure out how to get rid of that contract. But I'm really curious to see what he does because I think they're set on the right side. Like they're going to go Falk Pareco Portuzo and they're going to roll with it. Left side's working it's interesting because you have Krug and Prunovich likely locked in. Those are two smaller offensive guys. And if Krug's injury is as serious as it appears, I don't think he'll be playing the beginning of next season either. If it's like, you know, as bad as it, it I mean, worst case scenario, he's not playing, but, um, and then you just, I, I don't think Mikula, I think what you probably do is get rid of Scandella in some way, trade that contract and then either re-sign Letty or find another lefty. But anyway, that's, you know, too soon to talk about that, but um, it's an issue. The defensive unit's an issue and it's been that way all season and it just hasn't been fixed.
0: Yeah, well, and Doug Armstrong's going to have his hands here full full here at this point because, um, and I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Cap Friendly tweeted out that the Blues will actually be down a million dollars and not be able to go all the way up to the cap due to cap penalties here this year. The fact that um, Bozak played, what was it, too many games or he, w- he made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and so that kicked in a million-dollar bonus here at this point, and the Blues were unable to cover that by their cap space. And so because of that, the blues have um, a million dollars that they're not going to be able to spend next year up to the cap. And so the blues, instead of 82 and a half million dollars, they only have 81 and a half million. So um, the cap puzzle continue to just cause all kinds of issues here for plenty of teams and including the blues here at this point. So, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be interesting. Like you said, that left-hand side, is just going to be a puzzle for Craig Berube. And I feel bad for him because, you know, he's doing everything he can with the pieces that he has. And the pieces that he has, it, it still lacks quality, two-way defensive depth.
1: Let me just say this as well. The cap penalty thing is so dumb. Like, it is so <laughs> stupid. Like, I think there's 14 teams that are dealing with an issue like this or an overage of some point with the cap. That is so dumb. When you have teams... When you have teams, I'm not going to go after Tampa Bay too hard here, but you have a team like Tampa Bay whose salary cap is pretty much 90 mil last year during the playoffs, and they win the cup. Like, how dumb is that? Now we're going to have a million less to spend because of some dumb rule. I mean, it's just – I like the NHL salary cap structure for the most part, but there's some really dumb things that happen. Well, going into next year, there's only going to be,
0: I believe, seven seven or nine teams that have the ability to spend up to the cap. Everyone else – Is all penalized
1: I'd like to see the league figure that out but I don't think there should be any confidence in them doing that yeah um so let's just look like the last few years I'm gonna go over each playoff the last two playoff series losses like Vancouver what do you think the biggest issue for the Blues was in that series because I feel like it was just being outplayed, I think, more than anything. Because there was a couple games where they outplayed them and Markstrom stole it, but then the deciding game, game six, they got outplayed, outskated. Oh, it was, it was being outplayed top to bottom.
0: There, there was no question about it. I mean, like, they couldn't score. They couldn't defend against them. Bennington at times looked like he was just flopping around like a fish, you know, just could not be able to get any sort of positioning here down. Um, it, it was, again, just top to bottom. Just did not look good.
1: Yeah, and Jake Allen, I believe, uh was pretty good in that series when they threw him in there. Yeah. So that was the state of the team then. Um then last year was just uh there's really nothing else to say other than they were just dominated, overwhelmed. They had Santini and Mitch Rinke playing in game four. I mean, that's just just no chance.
0: Lack like uh, of defensive
1: depth. Yeah. So let's just look at what they've lost. I mean, you, you have a list here. I mean
0: Yeah. Yeah. Since, since the Stanley cup team, I mean, it's been nearly a complete defensive court turnover. You know, they've lost Petrangelo, Bo which let's face it. He may or may not still be playing if it wasn't for the heart condition. And it wouldn't surprise me if the man was still playing here at this point in time, Gunnarsson, they lost Edmondson. And at this point, man, I'd love to have a guy like Edmondson ready to throw out there here on the ice. Um, You know, and they, they even lost Vince Dunn, you know, which, you don't know here just yet, but Perunovic likely outplays Vince Dunn. You know, again, only a, a handful of games here for Perunovic at this point. But again, it's just the experience. It's it's the ability to throw guys out there, and you know they replace him with Krug and Falk, and the rest is just all homegrown guys, which is great if you've got the ability to throw quality homegrown guys out there. But it's not. True quality. I mean, they're they're all seventh defensemen, a sixth guy here on the depth chart. I mean, it's it's nobody to really say, oh, that's going to be a great addition here for us.
1: So the other thing for me is, I didn't like trading Edmondson, but also it's a good thing that Falk has turned out to be as good as he's been because that would have been a lot worse of a move trading Edmondson to Carolina if Falk didn't end up being you know Falk. He was their best defenseman this year. I don't think there's any argument there. He had 16 right. goals. I mean, he's just ridiculous. And he's and he's a bigger body, he's physical. Now let me let me just uh, before we talk about game four, the last three games, at least the last two games, really. Bozak, I believe, said this after the game as well. I think at some point the Blues are just hitting to hit. Like they're not even really. There was a point in the game where they weren't even really playing hockey. They were just hitting guys. And as much as I like that a lot. At some point, you just got to play hockey and try to score. Because there were so many times they were just hitting guys. And then I think odd man rushes can't happen when you're you're just hitting to hit. So I think that's an issue. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just need to keep it simple. You know, you need to be a guy who makes a good play. And I'm not talking about just making a hit. You know, if you're going to block a puck, if you're going to create a turnover. If you're going to pick a guy's pocket, you know, whatever that you're going to do, you just need to, be able to make a good play because at this point in time, the blues just need any bit of a spark that they possibly can get. And it doesn't look like that. The wild are going to back down from a hit. It's just not going to happen. They play way too similar of a style that the blues play. And if they want to play physical, the wild are more than happy to play physical here with them. And I'm worried that they're going to outmuscle them here too. So, they just need to be able to keep it simple, and, and they cannot get involved here in these hitting matches.
1: And before we get into game four, I cannot stand Deloria, and I think it's hilarious that he is not a good hockey player and they wasted a third-round pick on him because you're not winning the Cup just because you got Deloria. I can't stand that guy. Uh, anyway, let's go now to game four. Looking ahead to game four, uh, I believe I kind of went over this a little bit in the recap video on Twitter for the game last night. Uh, I think a big key to this game is, you know, how do you, how do you bounce? Like, how do you come out? You got to come out fast. Like you cannot give up. I honestly, I think the blues cannot give up the first goal, like maybe the first goal, but you can't give up the first two. But the, I think a big key for the blues, let me know if you agree here is getting the first goal. You got to get the first.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, the blues absolutely need to be the team who captures the first goal. They, they they cannot afford to go down 1-0 on their home ice here at this point. Um I'm trying to pull up to see if the Blues score first. Let's see here. They I believe had a pretty good record at home scoring first. They were 16-4 and 3,
1: which if is weird opponent, because they're not really good at playing with a lead.
0: Yeah. If the opponent scores first, they actually had a record of 10, 6, and 2.
1: Yeah, I mean, it tells a lot, and last night's a good example of that because the Blues had the puck, they were moving it, Pareko jumps into the play, 2-on-1, and they score. Yeah,
0: yeah. So they they have absolutely got to be the team who comes in, they score first, they, they pounce here on the rebounds, and, and again, I'll just say it again, they've got to keep it simple.
1: Yeah, I had an article, three takeaways from game three, and I discussed the forward line shifts and what they did to move the lines around. The third period the lines were Saad, Thomas, and Kairu were together. Buchnevich, O'Reilly, Peron, and Barbashev, Shin, Tarasenko. So those were the top three lines. They kept the fourth line together with Torpchenko, Joshua, and, uh, and uh, Bozak. So what do you think about the three top three forward lines last night? And do you go with that going into game four or do you make a change? Because for example, if we're going to change things up like this, I would prefer to see Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Tarasenko together and then throw Shin with O'Reilly and Peron.
0: Get that Russian line back out. Yeah. Oh man, that would be an interesting line to go back to. You know, we saw them with some success here at this point. Um, Cairo has not been overly impressive, but I would love to see some way, shape, or form that we can get this guy going. I also want to say
1: something about that. I got to say something about that. I'm not going to try to destroy the fan base here, but the people who think that Jordan Cairo should be traded are the absolute dumbest people in the hockey world. Like, let's just trade a 23-year-old with superstar talent just because he turns the puck over a few times or he doesn't play a good two-way game. Like, He's going to be a 90 point scorer in the future. And we're just like, oh, we got to trade him. It's just so dumb. Like, I saw like five tweets last night saying Kairu was traded yesterday. Like, I cannot believe that there are that many people out there that think that way. Well, and
0: you look at the number of players who excel so, so well offensively, but they early on in their careers here too. And then they're just horrible defensively. You know, even a guy like Ovechkin. Now, I mean, I'm not comparing Cairo to Ovechkin or or anybody else, but playing an elite or even just an average defensive game at the NHL level takes time. These guys are playing up against men, and when these kids are coming up, and I will say kids because they're you know 22, 23, 24 years old playing up against guys against guys who are 10 years older than them. They're just more physically mature. They've had time to develop and see the game and be able to grow with the game and the speed here of the game. They know how to, be able to make these plays. So you've got to be able to give these, these kids who can score goals, which ain't exactly falling off trees. You have to give them time to develop defensively. And that may just come with the ability to pair them with somebody who's a little bit more defensively sound, who can try and help nurture that in a the way but i agree trading a guy like Kairou makes no sense here to me in the slightest
1: i think putting sod with thomas and kairu could be something that's good like all three of them are good skaters uh sod is just a, a goal scorer uh Kyru can can score and pass thomas has proven that he can score and pass but i think thomas is a guy who's whose two-way game i think is really going to take off next year um and i think kairu's not that far behind him like they're going to be good enough on both ends where people aren't going to be saying this in a couple of years, but I just think that the, the idea of trading that young of a guy who's got superstar potential, who's an all-star just because his second half hasn't been that great. is just so stupid. So had to throw that in there. Uh, all right. <laughs> final thing on game four. Do you make a change in net?
0: No, no, I, I, I don't. Um, and I was pondering this here earlier in a conversation. Um, you could go back to Bennington here as a spark plug. You absolutely could. But I don't think it's the right spark plug. You're trying to take out a guy who has has just really been one of your biggest keys to your success all season long. And trying to take him out for what? Lack of defensive ability, turning over plays, inability to score. That's not on him. I mean, and I get it. You know, that first goal, game two, when... Ortuzo's stick broke. He should have had that. It, it was a tough play to be able to make, but he he should have had a little bit better chance to be able to have that. There's been some plays, again, Huso hasn't looked the greatest, but man, I, I don't think I go back to Bennington here at this point. I just, I just don't.
1: So I I disagree, but it's not because of Huso. Um, I'm not gonna i the third takeaway from my article was it's definitely not Huso's fault. But my argument with this is Bennington can provide a spark plug, which we've seen teams get it. They make a change in net. I know the Blues have tried it. You know, they tried it uh, against Vancouver with Jake Allen in there, and it did work for a game or two, but that's besides the point. I know Bennington's last two playoffs have been horrible. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't think it's all on him either. But I also think that he didn't make the big saves when he needed to. But the other thing is, Bennington's going to be here next year. He's the goaltender of the future. Huso is not going to be here next year. I think at some point Bennington has to get a look in this series. And whether that's if Huso gives up a goal or two early, and you got to bring Bennington in, you do it. Um, I think ultimately I would start Bennington, but I think Baruby's going to go with Huso, and I think that they're. Still deciding, probably. I think he said that they were still deciding, but um, I think they're gonna be loyal to Huso. But I personally would go to Bennington just because I think that he's the gold goal turn of the future. You gotta provide a spark at some point. Huso is it's not his fault, but he hasn't been very good the last two games. He's given up a couple where he definitely wants them back. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a big topic, but at the end of the day, the forward group and the defensive unit have to play better. So mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. It's not going to make that much of a difference who's starting in net or not. Bennington looked
0: good going down the stretch, though.
1: Yeah, I think I think he's going to get a look in the series at some point, but I don't know if that's going to be in game four. We'll see. Maybe if they lose game four, then maybe you go to them in game five. I don't know. You really don't want to get to that point. But uh, anyway, uh, just real quick before we get into a, two last things, do you think they win game four, and where do you stand on how the series ends right now?
0: I think they win game four. I'm still saying that the Blues are still gonna take this game, um, take the series here in seven. But boy, they've got to be better. They have to be better here defensively more than anything. And that is the forwards and the defensemen. Again, they they cannot be able to turn over pucks, they've got to be heavier on it, and they've got to be able to get up some rebounds. They've got to get in front of um Marc Andre Fleury. They've they've they just have to play that dirty style. And this is where I mean again. People don't like to say, you know, some people are still Pat Maroon haters and whatnot, but man, this is where a series like a Pat Maroon would thrive in because he would be that spark plug, the guy that would get in front of the net, make some ugly plays, and that's what I'm hoping that Braden Shen can be. You know, you saw all of that swagger come out of here in game one, and he looked great. This is a series that Braden Shen should be thriving in, and you're just not seeing it here just yet. So I think if the Blues... You know, and maybe, you know, that they leave today's practice. They get some stretches in. They be able to do something. They go home to their families, some of their houses, apartments, you know, whatever it might end up being, and they just get outside. They just enjoy some beautiful weather. They rejuvenate here a little bit, and they get back in. I'm thinking that they take tomorrow's game, and they still take it here in seven games.
1: I'm going to agree. I think that they'll win game four, and I think that they will uh, win the series in seven. I'm sticking with it. We're sticking with it. All right. We had a tweet earlier in the week on the podcast account about David Perron and whether the Blues should look to re-sign him this summer. Uh, I mean, he's he's been good. He's a point-per-game player last year. Obviously had uh, 20 – how many goals he have this year? Um, Man, why did I – I can't believe I forgot how many goals he had. I know he had the big cold streak, but I should have had this off the top of my head that's on me at 27 goals, so – Uh, yeah, last two years have been great. I guess last three, he did have 23 goals year. They won the cup, but only 46 points only played 57 games, but, uh, he's been a 20 goal scorer three out of the last four years. I know he's getting up there. He's 33 now, but the way that he plays with O'Reilly, I think it'd be wise to bring him back at a good number. Um, what do you think overall about the Perron thing this summer?
0: He's making $4 million here this season. 33 years old. Oh boy. I'd love to see him come back. You know, he's going to be 34 at the end of this month. If you bring him back, even on a one year deal, ideally and logically speaking, the Blues have one more year left of Stanley Cup contention certainty before they need to pay O'Reilly. Tarasenko, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Ivan Barbashev. You know, they've they've got almost all of their key offensive forwards all coming up here on contracts. So if you can get somebody like David Perron to agree to one year, maybe even a two, don't include a, a, a no trade clause, maybe keep it as a modified no trade clause here at this point. You know, you kind of give him a little bit of a, of a certainty that says, hey, we're we're not just going to trade you to Arizona to play in front of 4,000 fans. I, I'd like to see it. I don't want to see them overextend themselves here cap wise. And I don't think that Armstrong is a guy who would do that. You know, he would ideally want to be loyal to David Perron. Boy, price is going to be a huge factor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd be willing to go two years. I'd be willing to do two on that. Um, I don't think anything more than two, unless it's like if Piran is willing to take a, a a much lower cap number on a three-year deal instead of a two-year deal, I'd be willing to go three only under those circumstances. Uh, I'd like to see it get done. I'm not overly confident that it will because they just have so much depth in their four-group. And think about this. Jake Neighbors is going to be ready soon. Um yeah. We, I've i I've really liked what I've seen from Toropchenko. I think he's gonna be a really good bottom six guy for this team. Yep. Uh Barbashev is gonna need to get paid. If if he keeps playing like this, I think you gotta pay him. He's still young. And then uh Zachary Bolduke, I don't think is that far off. Maybe three years on him, maybe two years when he's ready. Uh so that depth has got to play a factor. Like they plan on re-signing O'Reilly. And even if they plan on re-signing Tarasenko, I think you gotta. You got to think about that as well. So that's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, we had two comments on that. Uh, at Overcamp, Michael said 25 goal score. You think he'd come back for a discount? Not sure he gets less than the four mil he's getting now. Uh, this guy says three years, four mil is what he wants. But I think that that's, I don't think Perron would do that. I mean, you'd love to see him take a discount. Maybe he would, but a four mil discount. He's been much better than a $4 million per year player the last four years. According so, to
0: the athletic, I mean, you know, market value, he's playing at eight million dollars.
1: Yeah. And was this was this uh before this season when this when this uh graphic came out?
0: That was just before the end of the season. Um if you look at the graphic bottom okay. left-hand corner, you should be able to see it was April, like early mid April.
1: Okay. Yeah, because that I mean that yeah. Eight points, that's about right. Cause he's had 20 goals the last three. Three of the last four years, had 19 year before that, and the year that he didn't, uh, the year that he didn't have 20 goals, he had over a point per game, and then defensively, he brings a lot to the table as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a guy you want back. Uh, this guy F A K three R Faker, I guess, is his Twitter name. He says no question about resigning. Question is where to put the statue outside the Enterprise Center. I mean, that could be a relative of David Perron. I don't know. I'd love to see it though. Uh, why do not?
0: You, do you retire 57?
1: That's a close one. I don't know. I, mean, I, I think you got to – you know, it's really not that close, actually. I think you got to get like three or four really good years out of him. even more. Like if – I don't even know how many, how many points does he have as a blue right now. I feel like that's a big factor when it comes to that. Um, but I think that there's a certain – I just think that I like to keep the retired number list – Pretty low. I think if you're a Hall of Famer, that definitely should should throw in there. Um
0: but. Run regular season, six hundred and seventy-three games, one hundred and ninety-six goals, four hundred and sixty-five points.
1: Yeah, I don't I like, think I'd i like the idea, or...
0: I like the idea of the statue. Um yeah. in theory. I I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah, 465 mean, points. Um
1: yeah, we'll, I mean, see. You
0: know. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see.
1: There's a lot more that goes into it as well, but uh, yeah, Yeah. I think that you want to keep those as sacred as as possible at at this point. Um, So yeah. All right. Let's get to the last segment, multiple choice segment.
0: Multiple choice. All right. So let's see. I had some people, as I was mentioning here before we, uh, we started to hit the record button that some people were saying, you know, the questions were a little too easy. Um, So I went ahead and wanted to up the ante here for a little bit for you. So, all right. Question number one. Who holds the franchise single-season record for goals? Brendan Shanahan, Brett Hall, Brian Sutter, or Wayne Gretzky? Single-season record for goals.
1: So it was like a trick question. Because you'd think it'd be whole, but I'm also thinking, okay, there's no way it's Gretzky. I, Sutter? no, Or Shanahan? Shanahan, I don't uh. So this is before my time, if we're being fair, but I'm just going to throw Brett Hole out there because I feel like I'd be an idiot if I didn't say that. So I'm just going to go with it. I don't know. I, you know, what can you do? Correct. Yep, okay.
0: absolutely. So Brett Hall's 86 goals in 1990, 1991, are actually the third highest single season total in NHL history. I, Imagine having an... 86 goal scorer.
1: it's pretty good I mean I also I'd be like thinking I was thinking like I don't want to psych myself out of that I guess because I have definitely looked at the all-time single season goal scoring record in the NHL mm-hmm. and I've seen hold there so I yeah I just didn't want to psych myself out of that one
0: yep all right so let's go through tough guy route so who was the first Blues player to reach 300 penalty minutes in a single season Kelly Chase Bob Gasoff Brian Sutter or Reed Low? I'm
1: going to go with Reed Low. No reason. Just going to throw it out there.
0: You would be wrong. That would be Bob Gassoff. He was quite possibly the most fearsome blues enforcer of all time. He had a knack for just going nuts during multiplayer pileups. And he was actually described by a renowned Broad Street bully, Dave Schultz, as, quote, scary uh, during the 75 76 season. He set a franchise record. that still stands today with 306 penalty minutes. Um, unfortunately, he was only 24 years old and four seasons into his career when he was killed in a motorcycle accident. So uh, I'd be very interested to see where his numbers would have been had he had the chance to continue on here with this play, but 24 years old.
1: Now I remember having, I, I remember discussing him in an article one time, uh, does he have? Does he have a number retired or something in the rafters? I'll have to take a look. I, th- I thought that that was what my article was about, but I remember talking about him in an article one time. I just don't remember which article it was. So I'm just going to try to look through these here. See if I can find it while you get to the next one.
0: Number three, Bob Gassoff, Yes.
1: Yeah, I remember yep, because I had a retired numbers article. I mentioned him, and there we go. Nailed it. Still, still got the memory.
0: Still got it. All right, uh, switching here to the crease. Which Blues goaltender holds the franchise single season record for shutouts? Bennington, Glenn Hall, Brian Elliott, or Roman Turek? Uh franchise single season record for shutouts.
1: I don't. I don't want to look stupid. So, um, I'm going to throw Brian Elliott out there because I think it's a random answer, and I don't really know. So, I'm going to go with it.
0: It is Moose. After joining the Blues for the 11-12 season, Elliott revitalized his career, posting a 23-10-4 record while sporting a 1.56 goals against average and a franchise record nine shutouts in a single season. Big moose nailed it. All right. Final question. How many blues players scored 20 or more goals this season? Eight, nine, 10, or 11.
1: Uh, this would be nine and I could name them. If you want me to get some extra credit, let's get the extra credit. All right. Uh, Braden shin, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Brandon sod, uh, Robert Thomas, Vladimir Tarasenko, Pavel Buchnevich, Ivan Barbashev. I believe that's nine.
0: That was eight.
1: Okay, I forgot one. Um, Shin O'Reilly, Peron. Oh, Cairo. Yeah, duh. there you go. I mean, we just there talked about him. Jeez. Not too bad. Not too bad. Three out of four. Very I'll nice. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, what can you do? You know. Very I, think nice. I, I think I missed one last week as well. So. All right, well, that'll do it for us in Episode 2. We'll be back at some point, um, whether when the series is over or if they get to a Game 6 or 7, maybe before then, but we'll figure that out, so we'll see you for Episode 3. Thank you for listening to the Blue Node Podcast, Episode number 2 on the Believe Network. Uh, You can follow our Twitter at TBNPod. You can follow us there. You can follow me at EthanCarterSW. Where can they find you on Twitter?
0: At DangerPowers19.
1: All right. Episode three coming soon. Thank you for listening to the Blue Note Podcast, the Believe Network.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V
1: on YouTube.